good night. Have a good night. Here it's this. You know what that sound is, kids? That's the sound of the sparrows that you are worth more than. That's the sound of the sparrows that you are worth more than. Sparrows. 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 All right, kids. All right, kids. You know what I realized? I say welcome to Steadfast at almost the beginning of every single one of our podcasts. The other day I went through, I listened to him, listened to him, it's funny. Welcome to Steadfast. I'm not saying it this time. Oh, I just did. Darn it. I just messed myself up, didn't I? So welcome tonight to part three of our three-part series entitled, You Are Worth More Than Many Sparrows. I am very excited. Because tonight's good. Um, last week was my very exciting one. From the very beginning, like I said, last week was really insane. But when I was planning this week's message, it was really good. Um, it's different. It kind of has a different feel. I hope you really get into it. Um, but really what it does is it does talk about this worth that we've been talking about the entire time, the whole idea that you're worth more than many sparrows uh, to God. Remember the whole point of this message series, if you will, with me to fall back to week one. The whole entire idea is the fact that really, uh, in this world that we live in today, people really don't even think that they have value anymore. People live a valueless life. They go through the world um, really just kind of feeling down on themselves a lot of times. I know I used um, some rather wild explanations of stuff like prostitution, but let's take it down a lot smaller than that, just really to how we act with ourselves every day. How many people wake up in the morning, they look at themselves in the mirror, and they really don't like what they see? They don't really think that they're worth a lot. It's just like, yeah, there's me, and that's as good as it gets. There's a lot of people who go through life like that every single day that when they look at themselves, they don't see a gem. They don't see a jewel. They don't see something that's worth a lot. But that's not the case. It shouldn't be the case. That's something that has been a lie that's been propagated, and we have accepted it because the true message of these entire three uh, messages, this series, is trying to let people see the fact that they are worth so very much. They're worth a ton. They are a prize. Worth a great deal. So tonight we're going to talk about the very last called You Are Worth His Trouble. I like that title. Worth His Trouble. Kind of sounds weird though, right? Figuring what does does that mean. So if you will with me, it's kind of nostalgic and it kind of makes me sad. For the last time of our three-week series, would you please turn with me to Luke 12, 4 through 7. (laughs) And I want to read it to you one more time. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So, 
I don't come here tonight to propagate. I come here tonight to let you really look at the Bible and see the fact that it's true. We looked at this and we saw that it's true that we are worth God's care. We saw that we are worth his love. And I see in this that we are worth his trouble. We've been talking about how much God values us. And I know last week I I told you this cool and how I told you about the very first uh, discount deal I've ever seen in history. I found a really cool one this week too because I love doing stuff like this. And um, it's actually, believe it or not, um, one of my favorite stories. I know I've read this to you guys before because it's one of my favorite stories about Jesus Christ healing someone. And um, this whole idea of worth is trouble, I want you to kind of get into this. But this one has kind of an interesting little side thing to it, so I want you to hear it. It's Matthew twelve nine through 14. One of my favorites. It says this, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good things on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. One of my very favorite uh, things of Jesus healing someone in the entire Bible, I love it because Jesus is hardcore enough that he's sitting there and he already knows what they're going to say, and he answers right back to them. And he's like, you are just a bunch of hypocrites. You're hypocrites. But the part that stuck out to me that I liked is the fact that he says that we're worth more than sheep. So if you don't believe that you're worth more than sparrows, you're worth more than a sheep, too which stood out to me. Um, So let's take a look at ourselves, really. Look inward for a quick second, just a quick second. When you think about yourself and you think about your relationship maybe with your parents or your guardians, depending on who helped raise you, could be a sibling, uh, anyone who really helped bring you up, a lot of us would look at ourselves and say, man, I was trouble. Trouble with a capital T. I made things hard. I made things difficult. I was not easy to raise. I don't know. My mom always says I was pretty easy to raise. I don't know. I think I was kind of troublesome at times. Although, I was kind of a mama's boy, which is cool. What I mean by your worth God's trouble is this. When I say trouble, I mean hassle, headaches, having to give help, having to put a ton of work into. That's what I mean when I say trouble. So that's what it's going to mean tonight. So let's start all the way back at the very beginning, back to Genesis, very beginning of the Bible. I'm not going to get a scripture verse for you guys, so you guys only have to turn that direction. I see you all thumbing. But let's just start at the beginning, because God takes his time, and he's creating the earth, and he decides to make humans, and he says, let's create humans in our image, an image of God. He makes humans, brings them to this earth, he makes Adam, and he tells them all these different things. He tells them, you know, you can eat from all the trees, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, different things. And of course, what happens? They sin. They fall into it. They eat. They disrespect God. They hide. They become shamed of their nakedness, which still freaks me out today to think maybe if we never did that, you think we'd all still be walking around naked? I guess we would. Someone else would have slipped up. Maybe, maybe you're right. Someone else would have think. But anyway, so he has to kick them out of Eden. He has to take these two, and he has to boot them out of Eden. And then he has to take care of them. 
because it says that God really does continue to take care of them. As we go on from there, he, he provides this way of escape from the flood. He sends a man, Moses, and he tells them to bid Noah. Wow. <laughs> we'll get to Moses in a second. Noah to build an ark, which uh, only a select few get to get on. Everyone else is drowned to rescued from the flood. So God goes through all this work that he sends this man. Did you know that Noah built a boat in the middle of a desert? There were probably people who walked up to that boat and had never even seen a boat. It's like me building like a spaceship and you don't even know what it is. Like they probably walked up and they're like, what the heck is this thing? You know, my favorite, um, an old SNL skit, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. They sit on the front porch and it's Dean Martin and another guy. And all they do, Steve Martin, all they do is go, what the heck is that? And they just do it for like 10 minutes straight over and over and over again. People are like, what is that thing? I never even seen something like this. Moses Noah is crazy <laughs> enough. It's crazy enough. Wow, seriously. If anyone ever asks you a question about the Old Testament, say Moses. And if it's not Moses, it's probably Noah. That's the rule for the Old Testament for you guys who don't know yet. Anyone ask any questions, just say Moses and you're pretty set. And if, it's, if they're like, no, say Noah because that covers a lot of the other stuff. If they say no to that, say God. And that <laughs> you're always covered. But anyway, he does this to, to save them from all this thing. He, he does this trouble, basically. He works through it to save them. They come back out. You know the whole story about them being taken to, to Egypt as slaves. I talked about this last week. He brings them out of slavery. He brings them uh, into their promised land. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He writes down, literally, ten rules that are going to make their life work, that are going to help keep their life regulated. A lot of trouble. Um, through all of this, let me tell you, people didn't obey. It, over and over and over again, we see these problems. Um, so he ends up sending a ton of prophets, read judges, one after another of people that he sends basically to try to rule the land, some who are very evil, but he sent occasionally people who would take and reform and bring back this community to God. He sends, yeah, like I said, prophets, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, people who basically felt God's own heart and spoke that to people, trying to get people to understand what it is God is saying. He went through a lot of trouble trying to get these people to understand, um, but still, um, not so much a lot of times. What I think is interesting at this is that if you think about all of that time, God went through a tremendous amount of trouble. Think about all the different work he did. When really, couldn't have God just went and like vaporized everybody and been like, well, that was a screw-up. <laughs> that sucked. Thought I was doing a good job, but uh, those people, they stink. He could have just vaporized them all and be like, let's start at square one. Here's some more dust. <sighs> Blow into it. Let's start man over again. But he didn't. So we must have been worth something then, that God kept on struggling through all of this to help us out, to do all this work. He could have just started over, right? Even more than this, we really see the most amazing demonstration of God's willingness to work and fight and do all these different things that are so annoying, really, all this work that we put on God in Jesus Christ. I mean, the absolute pinnacle of God's trouble for us. It talks about in the Bible the fact that because of sin, because of the fallen state of this world, that my sin that I have had basically promises me an eternity in hell. I've earned that. 
But then God finds this amazing way around his own rules, a way around this universal truth in sending Jesus Christ, who lives a perfect life, and he dies on the cross, and it says that he carried every single one of my sins to the cross. So that now I don't even have sin anymore. He's taken it, and he's already paid for it. Every single sin I have committed and will commit has already been covered underneath of his blood because I believe that Jesus Christ did this for me, and I've asked him to be my Lord. It says that if we do this, that we're saved. And that when we die, now when we stand before God as a judge, he doesn't even see that sin, that we are completely clean. Amazing. Amazing picture when you think about that, the salvation story. Um, Hebrews 8, 8 through 13 says this. And he's talking about bringing on this new covenant, this one that I'm just telling you about with Jesus Christ. He says this, Heads up. The days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan I set up with their ancestors when I lead them, when I led them by the land, when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled on stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God and Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small and the great. They'll get to know me by being friendly, by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins forever wiped clean. He talks about this brand new, this brand new, promise that he's setting up, a new plan to deal with it. He says, the last one didn't work. They didn't keep up their end of the deal. I put out mine, they didn't keep up theirs, and then basically he says, and I'm just going to forget about that, and I'm bringing a better plan that's actually going to work. That section of the Bible is absolutely amazing. When I read that, I'm like, that's what I want my ministry to be, what I want steadfast to be. That, God, that I mean, God is written on our hearts lining, not that we just learn about him, but that we experience him. This is a tremendous picture of how much we are worth God's trouble. The fact that he would go through wiping away this old covenant that we basically failed at, people failed at, and now he's setting up this one that's, that's very, very costly, very costly. Jesus has to come and die here on earth, experience our life and experience death in order to pay for this. And God says that he's going to do it because he wants us to know him in that close manner. I talked about it last week. Man, seriously, God loves us. God really, really loves us. That he would do all this. He would go through all of this trouble. If he's willing to go this far, we must be worth a ton. Because he could have said something different. He could have given up and went a different way. So the reason why I give you this is really this is where we find ourselves tonight. After all of this history that I just told you about. After all of this history of of God's trouble in people's lives. This is where we find ourselves sitting here tonight thinking about our own lives and how does this apply. Here's what I believe and here's what I believe the Bible shows time and time again is that not only are people worth God's trouble. Because when you read this history, it's really easy to say, yeah, I guess people were worth God's trouble. But what I'm saying tonight is that you, you, and I are worth God's trouble. Not people, but you yourself. 
just you personally, forget about everyone else in the room, just you, that you're worth God's trouble. All of that. Here's the deal. When I look at myself, probably when you look at yourselves, when I look at some of you, we're pretty jacked up. Pretty darn jacked up. I know looking at myself, when I look at my own life, I think, man, I'm pretty messed up. I don't have to be mean. I'm not, I'm not being mean to anyone. I know when I look at some of your guys' life, I'm like, you guys are jacked up too. Seriously. That's the truth. I know you guys. But God wants this relationship with us, like I kind of talked about last week. We've been talking about it this past few weeks, that God's care and God's love that we're worth these, but we're also worth God's trouble. If he wants to have this relationship, sad to say, there's some baggage that comes with it. That's wild to think about, isn't it, to say that? But it's the truth. Because we are messed up, we have problems, we have failures, and basically if God wants a relationship with us, he has to take a whole bunch of baggage, and he has to basically work with that. That's the reality of the fact. But God is saying that we are worth it, that we are worth that trouble. Now, bunches of different things, but I'm going to list a few for you right here. Things that basically we carry with us that if God didn't have to deal with them, don't think he would, but he will. God is going to work through our insecurities and our shortcomings, the roadblocks in our life. He's going to work around these things and work through them. This could be something like the lack of confidence to actually do something for God. This could be an unwillingness to step out of the box that you live in. This could be just fear. These things that are basically inside of our heart. Even though we have a relationship with God, these things can kind of hound us and tail us and follow us throughout our entire life. God wants to get past them, 110%. He doesn't want you to deal with this crap your whole life. Seriously. Sound like Joel Osteen. Seriously, okay? You are not supposed to live a life that is filled with all these things that slow you down, keep you hindered, pull you away from God. But the fact of the matter is, is that God actually will work around and inside of these things. Now that's just wild to think about, isn't it? I have an example for you. And this is one a long time ago I read it, and when I did, it blew my mind. I had to step back and think, did that honestly just happen? It's all the way back in Judges. And it's Judges 7, 9 through 15. I'm going to read it for you guys. You guys don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you in the message. It said, That night God told Gideon. Gideon was a man leading God's army. Quick preface to this, actually, before I go on. Literally, in this very chapter, Gideon has this huge army. God tells him, Army's too big. Not going to give me glory when you win. Tell everyone who wants to go home, go on home. So he says, any of you guys that want to go home can leave. Like half of his army leaves. Then he's still going on, and God says, you know what, army's still too big. When you win, it's still not going to give me enough glory. People will still not, you know, believe it's me. He says, you go down and you go to this, to this river. You have everyone drink. And he says, you watch who takes and brings up water to their mouth and who laps like a dog. He goes down and does it, and only 300 men followed the way that God was saying. I can't remember which one it was. I have to reread it. Only 300 men followed that direction, and God said, those 300 you keep, the rest you send home. 
He had this massive army, and God just dwindled it to 300 people and said, now you're ready to fight. Because when you win, it's going to bring glory to me, not to you. So Gideon is at this insane point. I mean, Gideon was a man of God, but can you imagine? I mean, you just walked, probably when he came to this, ba- this battle, when he knew he was going to come, he was puffed up. He had a huge army. He felt secure. And then God just basically pulled all this away, and I'm guessing Gideon Pi stood there and thought, you know, I believe in you, God, but this is scary. I am outnumbered. I am outmanned. You know, maybe some of the guys who we sent home were the very best in his army, too. He, it doesn't specify that, but maybe a lot of these guys who went home, too, could have been like, I mean, the cream of the crop, the real fighters. And some of these guys might be lame. He's looking around thinking, I don't know. So we come to this point, and it says, That night Gideon, uh, God told Gideon, Get up and go down to the camp. I've given it to you. If you have any doubts about going down... Go down with Pura, your armor-bearer. When you hear what they're saying, you'll be bold and confident. He and his armor-bearer, Pura, went down near the place where sentries were posted. This is the other camp, the one that he's going to invade, kill everybody, destroy. Midian and Amalek, all the Easterners, were spread out on the plain like a swarm of locusts and and their camels, past counting like grains of sand on the seashore. Tons of people. Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream. He said, I had this dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It came to the tent and hit it so hard it collapsed. The tent fell. His friend said, this has to be the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has turned Midian, the whole camp, over to him. So here's what happens is that Gideon is at this point where he feels weak, and he probably feels pretty scared. Let me tell you, God could have said, suck it up, pansy. Put on your armor and go do what I just told you to. I'm God. You're a man. How dare you tell me what, you know, you're going to do for me. I told you you're going to do it, so go and do it. Just do it. And probably Gideon would have done it. He probably would have said, okay, fine, I'll go and I'll fight. And God would have still got the glory. But what's crazy is the fact is that God worked through his insecurities. He said, you know what? He already knew Gideon was going to win, and probably Gideon would have went anyway, like I said. But he said, if you're scared, I want you to go down and listen to this dream that I just put in this man's head. God goes, and he takes and places a dream in two men, basically, in between this conversation, in a man's head who doesn't even know him. These were pagan men. Puts a dream in his head to share with another person so that Gideon can overhear it. And he can feel confident at a time when he feels weak. That's proof that God works through even our weaknesses, even the things that hold us back, our insecurities. We're worth that much trouble to him that he's going to do that. He's going to help us out in that way. Like I said, he didn't have to do this. And it's just wild. We see a, a great picture of this too when I was thinking about Jesus Christ. Amazing picture of this with Jesus and Peter. If you guys have read a lot, in the, uh, in the different apostles' accounts, Peter was a mess, okay? Peter made a lot of mistakes. And basically, God continued to deal with this man, even though he had a lot of problems. Seriously. I mean, like, there's this one point I remember, that it, it's so funny. They go to this mountain, and he takes Peter and these other guys, and basically, Jesus Christ has a spirit meeting with Moses and Elijah, and they have a communication about what's going on. 
And Peter basically exclaims out, he says, how wonderful this is. Let's build three temples for you three. And God basically says, this is my son. Basically saying, these men aren't anything. This is, this is my son, God. You know, that you're basically going to build three temples. These are just men who've come down to talk to him. Peter makes a stupid mistake. More than anything, Peter probably made a mistake in his mind, but he's just dumb enough to verbalize it. If he would have just sat back, it probably wouldn't be a problem. But Peter just exclaims. He just shouts out. You see this over and over again. Um, Jesus is going to go, and he's, he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be crucified and all this different stuff. And Peter just, of course, jumps out, and he's like, but I would go with you even if it's to death. And then Jesus turns around and says, no, by the end of tonight, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But God continues to work through all of these shortcomings of this man over and over again to continue because he had a plan for him, basically. He worked through him to still do a lot of awesome things in the future. But, I mean, this man had problems, but he still worked through them. We're worth his trouble enough. This one, I think, stands out for the ladies. Just saying that God will deal with our emotions as well. I say this because I live with two women who are blatantly obvious about their emotions. And when a guy hears a phrase like, I'm having a crying day, (laughs) he thinks, what the heck is a crying day? You're having a crying day. That's honestly like my thought. I hear things like that and I'm like, what? Girls, girls, say amen right now because God, God is actually so much bigger than all of those emotions, all of those things. <laughs> I thought that was funny too. <laughs> when, I, when I thought of that, it came to my mind. Um, our emotions change so ridiculously fast. Between one minute to the next, I mean... In the grand spectrum of the fact that God says our entire life is like a vapor, gone, done. If you guys think about that, if you've read it, a vapor, think about this, okay? When you're standing out on a cold day and you go, and you see it go and then it disappears, that's what he's saying. That's what our life is, how fast it is. Let's think how many emotions we have in one lifetime. I mean, if you guys think about how many emotions you experience today, today, it would probably be a huge number, wouldn't it? So to imagine an entire lifetime, if God says that it's like a vapor, to God, our emotions have to be changing at an amazing rate of speed. Have you ever watched, you know when you watch a movie how you don't see individual frames? It's just like an insane amalgamism of all these different things. Like maybe when God looks at it, it's just like this insane flip book, and he's like, whoa, <laughs> seriously. Emotion is changing galore one after another. But basically, even though our emotions change like the wind, God is so stationary that he works through all of that. In times that are hard, in times that are happy, God will still speak to you. God will still work through that. He is willing, believe it or not, to deal with all of those emotions, which is crazy. Unlike many other religions, unlike many other beliefs, we do not serve a cold and heartless God. That's not who we serve. We serve a God that isn't offended by our emotions because he's the one who made us, and he's the one who gave us that ability. He's not offended. Maybe sometimes a little confused, thinking, man, that's crazy. 
but he's not offended. Sometimes it can get in the way of things, but God will come and he will work through of all of these things. And what's really awesome, too, is that there is an amazing man standing at God's right-hand side to explain these emotions to him, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus was God, and he came to earth, and he emptied himself, and he experienced what we experienced. Go ahead and look through every other religion, every other belief, and find where God came to earth to experience what we did to better understand us and to provide a way for salvation. Jesus came, and he experienced all this stuff, all this pain, and there's this amazing, um, this amazing verse where it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But we see something crazy. It says in John 11, 32-35, Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's talking about Lazarus. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he said, Where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. And verse 35 says, Now Jesus wept. In the NIV it says, Jesus wept. He wept. He cried. And in the, in the original language that was written, don't think of weeping as in like a little tear coming from your face. The word that it's used from, from way back when it was written, means a sobbing. It means a heaving of the chest. One of those cries where you have them where, like, you try to breathe, but it almost hurts too bad. That's the kind of weeping that they talked about. Not like he just shed a tear, but that Jesus wept. He cried painfully. Jesus experienced all those emotions that we did, every single one of them. So even though they can get in the way, he understands them, and he knows how you feel. He doesn't want to be condemnation saying, how can you be feeling this way? And to be correction, to, like, smack you down because you know, you're, you're feeling this emotion. But instead, he wants to be the solution. He wants to take this emotion and he wants to say, it's cool, it's cool you feel this way, but, you know, let's go in this direction and maybe even change those emotions sometimes. I don't think God always wants you to be sad. He's going to work in that. He wants to be the solution and he wants to work inside of them. Here's what you can take from this is this. When you feel down and you feel blue and you've been crying on God's shoulder all day, don't ever feel like you can't cry on his shoulder again because God is always there. He works through all those emotions. When you've been mad at God all day and you're still mad at God, don't hold back. Tell God how you feel because he works through every single one of those emotions. God created us and he knows what they're like and he loves us and he wants to be there with us. We don't serve an uncaring God. Perhaps the hardest thing when I look at what God deals with, and I know the hardest in my life, is that believe it or not, our holy and magnificent God deals with our sin. This is one that's hard for me, because I'm a sinner. I'll tell you I'm rotten to the core. I make mistakes constantly. Every night when I go home, I sit down and I think, man, did I mess up parts of today. I could have done that so much better. I shouldn't have done that. I should have stopped there instead of doing this stupid action, instead of thinking that stupid thought. It says in the Bible that God can have no part of sin. God is the exact opposite of sin. Sin is a deviation from God. And yet, somehow, amazingly, God still works in our lives, though we are sinners. 
That's awesome. He'll work with us even though we're not perfect. Now, I know I have a hard time with this because sometimes when I sin, when I fall into a pattern of sin, and when I really feel like I fall, I don't feel comfortable coming in front of God and bearing my soul. When I come back to prayer, I feel guarded. When I come back and I start talking to God, I don't feel like I can say, God, I pray that you would bless my life because I feel like how in the world do I possibly have the right to ask for that when this is who I am? I don't know if you guys have ever felt that, but that's how I feel sometimes. That that sin separates me from God. That I'm unworthy. And really, I am completely right 110%, except for the fact that God does not see me through my eyes. You're right, you're a sinner and you're disgusting, but that God does not see you through your eyes. It says, instead, when Jesus came and he died on the cross, that when I put my faith in him, he washed away all those things, and now, I said it before, God sees me through a Jesus filter that stands in front of him. And all of that sin and all of that failing disappears, and he sees me, my heart, my love for him. He sees the fact that I'm trying, even though I'm not perfect. And he doesn't see any of that junk that's around me. Instead, he sees a son that he loves and nothing else. God does not see you through your eyes. So God can work through all those times of sin. Even when we are complete failures, God still works in our lives. He still works through us. Now, Paul is my absolute hero in the Bible. Um, I kind of rebelled against that for a while because my mom's favorite person in the Bible is Paul, and I figured I can't be that much like her. But the more I read the New Testament and I read Paul, I realize the fact that Paul is my absolute hero. Time and time again, um, when I read it, it falls into that. The reason why is that Paul makes me feel a whole lot better about me when I read it. <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. Um, 1 Timothy 1, 15-17, a message from Paul to Timothy, a young pastor underneath of him. He says this, Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Write this one down in your heart and keep it with you at all times. A word that you can keep in your heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. He says, I am proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy, and now he shows me off. Evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Paul says, man, there are sinners, and I, love, I think NIV says, and I am the worst. And he says, and yet somehow because of how much God loves me and how he works, now even though I was this disgusting person and I still deal with it, God actually flaunts me. He shows me off in front of people as something amazing, as something precious. When I read that, it gives me hope. Because I think as many times as I fail, that Jesus loves me and he puts me in a place for a purpose. I'll be completely honest with you guys. Sometimes when I, when I come up here to give you guys a message, I feel like, man, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing this because I'm, I'm not right in everything that I do. I have so many problems that I still have to work out with God. But God basically reminds you and says the fact, I put you in this place for a reason. I put you where you're at and I gave you responsibilities and the sin has nothing to do with it. You're going to work on that, but you still have to do what I'm having you do. I'm still going to show you off because even though you're not perfect, 
you're perfect by me. It's difficult, but it's something that we have to work past too. Like I said, not only does God look at this, but we have to understand this too because if we constantly separate ourselves from God because of our sin, we're no better off than if God separated us from him. And this isn't to put a light haze on sin, but you can't let that bring shame and a feeling of distance from God every time you sin. You need to have a repentant heart, but don't distance yourself from God. He still wants to be right there with you. So your worth is trouble, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying these things, these different things that God will deal with to give you a license, basically, uh, to be entitled to these things, that I can have problems, I can have insecurities, I can be an emotional wreck, and I can sin every single day, and God will still work through my life, and God will still do awesome things. You're probably right. But that's not why I'm, I'm showing you these things. Why I'm saying these things is to show you how much God values you, how much he absolutely loves you, that he would put up with all of this crap that's stacked on top of you, basically, because he loves you that much. You're worth that much trouble. When I thought of this, what came to my mind was an old cartoon, and I know probably all you guys have seen it. It's called Popeye. Remember it? Do you remember it? There's Popeye, and... Um, He's kind of a rough-and-tumble guy. I love him. I want his sailor tattoos on the tops of my arm, the little anchors. be so cool. But if you remember right, he has a girlfriend. Do you remember his girlfriend's name? Olive oil. Who basically had the shape of a 13-year-old boy. She was nothing to look at. She was like two little sticks. She had no curves, nothing to attract a man's eye. But apparently Popeye really, really did. I mean, he digged olive oil. And do you remember there was this big, tough son of a gun who'd come along, and what was his name? Pluto. No. Pluto, Pluto yes. Yes. When you said, I was like, it's not Pluto, is it? I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. The dog is, is Pluto. Pluto would come along, and he basically flex, and olive oil would turn, and she'd go in the opposite direction. Popeye would, like, do something nice. Like, he'd, like, buy olive oil a ring and buy her flowers. And then Pluto would walk by, and she'd turn, and she'd walk, and she'd follow him away because he had some big old muscles. And let's just be completely honest. He was the bad boy, and chicks dig the bad boy. She'd follow him off, and she'd leave Popeye in the dust. And what made me so angry about this thing is every single time... Bluto would do something stupid. He'd start putting olive oil in danger. Or he'd try to go too far with olive oil. And for some reason, Popeye would come back. He'd kick the crap out of Bluto, and he'd take olive oil back. I'll be honest with you. When I watched that show, I hated it. I'm like, you let that 13-year-old shaped girl have what she wants and just walk the other direction Popeye, you're a stud. You could find another gal. Let her go. Just let her go. She's not worth it, man. Every single time when he gets all mad, I'm like, dude, she's not worth it. I'm like the friend. She's not worth it, man. But without, without a doubt, every time, what does he do? He grabs his can of spinach. He slams that sucker like a Red Bull. He comes up, <laughs> kicks the junk out of, out of Bluto, and he takes olive oil back. This is the picture that I want to show you about God, is that God is just like Popeye and we are just like olive oil. We turn and we follow something that looks prettier at the moment. 
it gets us in trouble time and time again, and every single time, without fail, God comes back and pulls us out of it. Every single time, just like Popeye. Even though all this junk, it says that we're worth all that trouble. Do you know how many times Popeye got beat up? A ton. I mean, time and time again he get beat up. It was only until he finally turned to his, his trusty spinach. But every single time, olive oil was somehow worth all of this trouble in his mind that he would still do all this. I want to give you a quick little phrase, and you don't have to remember it, but I think it's good. You may be very small compared to God, but to God, you are no small thing. You are worth a ton. So you may be small compared to God, but to God, you are no small thing. You're important. You're valuable. You stand out. You're someone that he really cares for, something that he really wants. Now, if you're like me, you read all this and you say, that's really good, but then why? Why would God say that I'm worth all this trouble? There has to be a reason, right? What sense does this make? That's kind of how I think. Here's the reality. God knows where we are coming from. He created us. He's the one that built us. And he knows what's inside of us. Even through all this junk that's in our lives, he's never caught off guard by who we are. He understands it. Psalm 103, 9 through 14 says this. It says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen to this. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers our very beginning where he scraped up some dust off the ground and blew life into it. And he remembers the fact that we came from nothing. Even though we're a mess, he understands it and he'll work through it. He knows where you're from. Secondly, he takes pride in us. Believe it or not, God loves you so darn much, just like we talked about last week, all about God's love. Um, This love is so just ridiculously big. Like I said before, God doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need us to make him holy. He doesn't need us to prove who he is. But for some reason, God is so proud of us. Just like I said with Paul a little bit ago where he said that he shows him off. God does not need anything to make his title any better, okay? He's God. It says in the Bible in one section I was just reading today, it says when people make a promise, they pledge by some higher authority to keep them in check. You'll say, you know, as God is my witness. It says when God makes a promise, he uses his own name. He doesn't need to use someone else's. He's it. God doesn't need us to make him special. He doesn't need us to give him a title. And yet what's crazy is when you read the Old Testament, God tacks something before his name. He tacks the name of his followers. Time and time again in the Old Testament, you find him saying this, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this isn't said once or twice. This is said a ton. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God doesn't need this in front of his name. 
but he puts it there because he is so proud of us and that he shows off people like this. He does this because, in all reality, he loves us so much that he puts these examples out and says, I'm so proud of these people. They're mine. And he flaunts them, just like Paul said he did for him. Thirdly, we're in this together. God can put up with all this stuff because in all reality, we're all in this together. Especially if we're on his side. There are a lot of people out there that God wants. There are a lot of people out there who have never even heard about Jesus Christ. Um, And even if they have, they've never actually heard a pretty good explanation of it. They know that he was some guy who died on a cross, but they don't really know how that applies to them. The deal is, is that you're not just some dot. You're not just some point in this whole universe. But that you are part of God's hands. You are part of God's body. That he has things that he wants to accomplish here on earth. And you know how most of the time he gets them done? Is you and me. God can do those crazy miraculous things where he could, you know, stop something from happening, make something happen, change something, you know, just like snap. But the broad majority, he accomplishes his will through all of us, through all the people here on earth who say that they're his. That's how he accomplishes the daily stuff, a lot of times even the amazing stuff. In all reality, the fact that we are a part of God and what he does here on earth, that you're really worth something. You're worth all this trouble. Um, there's a story in Joshua, Joshua 10, 12 through 14. And I know you guys have probably heard it because it's, it's a great old story where Joshua is fighting um, the Amorites, I believe is who it was. And basically what happens is that um, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is Joshua talking. And he said, In my father's house are many rooms. Um, oh, excuse me. I started reading the wrong one. Sorry. On the day of the Lord, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. The sun paused. God literally held the sun and he stopped the day from progressing for another day. And then he let the sun set. 48-hour day, pretty hardcore, so that Joshua has an opportunity to destroy these people. What's saying is that when you're on God's side especially, we're part of his work and we're willing, we're worth all this trouble. God is willing to stop the sun for Joshua. So don't you think he'd be willing to kind of work through some of our troubles and help us out because we're doing his will? Because we are his servants. And really lastly, and the one that I want you to get a hold of too with this, is that God will work through all of this stuff because he sees potential in us. And the reason why I like this one and I want you to get a hold of it is because whether or not you even have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, it doesn't matter. Whether or not you even believe in God, doesn't matter. Because God looks past all of this hard work that he has to deal with, all of this giving and all of these headaches and all of these struggles because he looks toward a bright future in our life. God sees what's on the horizon for us. I think of God sometimes as a big old investor. People who are really wise with money, they take risks 
but the smart ones become rich. And I think that God is a wise investor. I think that he will work and he will give all of this time and all of this trouble because he's a wise investor and he sees on the horizon a bright future for each and every one of us. He sees potential that maybe we don't even see yet. That we're worth this trouble because something amazing is going to happen. Maybe he sees the people who you are going to someday help, the relationship that you're going to someday cultivate, or maybe that moment when you enter into heaven and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're worth all that trouble. So I tell you, you are actually worth his trouble. You personally, not people, but you. You yourself. Now I know when I started this, I showed how God's trouble really started right away in creation. And um, believe it or not, he isn't done helping us out. This is really towards the end. And it's in John 14, 1-4. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is Jesus talking to every one of us, talking to his apostles, but we are his apostles. And he's saying, I'm going to heaven and I'm preparing a room for you. And he says, and I'm not just doing that, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you home. He says, I'm going to take you where I'm at. And basically, he says, I'm inviting you home. He's going to take us there. He's still working. He's still dealing with this trouble to this very day, working through this because we're worth it. So here's the deal. Don't be fooled into thinking that God is too big to care because he really does. He's proven over and over again through his word and through experiences in life that you are worth his trouble. Realize that you are worth a ton and that God is willing to go through all of this for you. Like I said before, I didn't speak these three messages, this whole series, to make you feel self-entitled. That's not my point. It's not my point for you to leave here and think, man, I'm really worth something and feel that you can just do whatever because God is still going to work through it. That's not the point. Because every single word that I said was completely true. All of God's love that I told you about It's not a lie. He backed it up. But I want you to see that you're not useless and you're not small. You're important and that you're something that God's using to change the world. God does not see you through your eyes. And you're so valuable, even if this world doesn't act like it, God is on your side and he begs to differ. So start acting like you're worth something. Stop living like you're meaningless. Because that's what so many of us do. Like we're nothings. Start acting like you actually were bought and paid for by God for a reason. Like you're worth something. Like you're part of his body. Like you really do have a purpose. Start living and really accomplishing things. Start actually realizing the fact that you're worth enough to say no to things. And you're worth enough to say yes to things too. I'm not scared, even though some might be, that you're going to swing that way. Remember I told you I, I didn't want you to feel self-entitled, but I'm really not afraid that that's going to be the case because the Bible has this great promise. And if you say that you really start loving God and God starts loving on you, he gives this promise here, and it says in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, it says, My dear child, 
don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. If the, it's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces, he also corrects. So I'm not afraid of the fact that you're going to become that way. Because if you're really seeking God and you're seeking his love, what it says is that when God doles out love, he also deals out correction. When God deals out compassion, he also deals out this correction, saying this isn't right. So I'm not worried about that. I want you to focus on his love, and I want you to focus on the fact that you are worth all of that. If you have never, ever taken advantage of the single greatest act that God has ever done, of the trouble that he has went through for you here on earth, which is sending his son Jesus Christ to die so that you can go to heaven and spend eternity with him, I encourage you tonight to come and talk to me. I encourage you to call somebody who knows about this, if you're listening on the podcast, someone who understands Jesus Christ and say, I want to experience that. I need that in my own life. God went through that trouble, and I'm not going to just let it sit there. I want it. And I want you to realize tonight that you are worth all of God's trouble. I want to pray with you guys. I thank you tonight, Jesus Christ, and I thank you um, that somehow I am worth your trouble. All the things that you have went through um, in the past and even to this day that you have to deal with in my life and in all of our lives, all the things that I know you have to work around and you have to work through, the things that um, could separate me from you, but somehow you still work around them. I thank you, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your love that's strong enough to work through all of these things. I pray to you, Jesus, that tonight we would get a grasp of that, that we are worth all this trouble, that we're important to you, and that we should just start living like that. So I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just change us from the inside out, that we would realize this and it would become fact in our minds. And I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would also bring that correction. For those who don't know you, I do pray to you that you would just bring a heaviness on their heart, Holy Spirit, that they would realize that this greatest trouble that you went through isn't meant to just be forgotten, but that it's meant to be taken, and it's meant to be worked with. So I thank you, Jesus Christ, for tonight. I thank you for this series, Lord God, which I believe has changed our minds on what we are worth and shown us the depth and the width of your love. So I thank you, Jesus Christ. And it's in your precious name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, one last thing. You're worth more than many sparrows. Get beside me, I want you to love me I'm surprised that you've never been told before That you're lovely and you're perfect and that somebody wants you Fascinating new thing You've seen naked a temporary savior Fascinating you think Don't betray them By becoming familiar